Good morning. Uh, I'm grateful to be with you again this morning as, as I get to be every once in a while. I appreciate it very much. And God bless you. I appreciate the message that you gave about the session. Michael, I appreciate that very much. We are in a time where the uh, leadership of the church, not the pastors alone, but, but certainly the lay leadership in every congregation needs to stand. To stand and stand firmly. Uh, because the winds are blowing contrary, and it's time for us to stand. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, May your Holy Spirit be at work, even as I speak. May I speak faithfully, and between my, my mouth and the congregation's ears and hearts, may there be a pipeline, a conduit, a delivery system that is faithful, so what's faithfully spoken may be faithfully heard, faithfully received, faithfully believed and faithfully acted upon through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's put the scripture for today up there and and, uh, let's uh, take a look at the whole thing together and then we'll back up and go through it a little more uh, in detail. From Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. (laughs) The word of the Lord. Now, I uh, subscribe to a magazine that's called Entrepreneur. It's just a business magazine of whatever worth or value. I think I signed up for it accidentally, and it keeps getting delivered. to my home, and I read some articles that I find interesting, and one of them had to do with speaking publicly and some shorthand help for when you're asked to speak publicly on the spur of the moment. So there are a few of you in this congregation here right now who probably occasionally get asked to address a group like Michael just did, you know, and you have to prepare something. Sometimes you only get a few moments to prepare, and that's when the panic sets in. I'm, I read, and you probably know this to be true, that speaking publicly is one of the great fears <laughs> that most people have. Don't put me in front of a group to speak publicly. 
When I first started as a pastor, which is a long time ago now, um, 1978, I used to show up at the church about two hours early and I wrote everything out in a manuscript and I would just read it and read it and read it out loud. I'd get in the pulpit, nobody was there but me, and I would read it and read it and read it out loud until I kind of knew it. And then I didn't have to rely on my notes (laughs) and I could make eye contact with people, but I was so Oh, I was nervous. I'd almost throw up every Sunday morning before getting up in front of people. That's probably too much information. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, So, in this article that I read, there was kind of a shorthand, which I offer to you as a bit of a gift this morning, of of if you're ever asked to speak publicly and, and you go, how do I do that? Here's a little shorthand that might bring you some structure to what you need to say and some comfort, some confidence in doing it. You start out with what. There's always got to be a what. Let's say that you're asked to speak about uh, uh, some personnel issue at work, or maybe it's about the session, Uh, but there's a what. There's almost always a what. You're asked to speak about blah, 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 what. And then the next thing is, so what? (laughs) So you start with a what, and then you go to so what, and then you go to now what? Those three things, what, so what, now what? What is the content? I have a what to share with you, and I'm gonna share with you a what in just a minute. And then I'm gonna go to the so what, which is, what's the significance of this? Why is this important? And then the now what, which is to what? consequence. What is the follow-through to that? What's the therefore, therefore? So we're going to start with the what, and let's just go back to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We'll come back to that. That's not the what. This is the what. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Okay, let's consider that as the what. Who's the person that we're talking about? Jesus. Okay, we all know that. And we know that this is the central part of the story of Jesus. What Paul just shared there in Philippians is what scholars refer to as the Christ hymn, believing that it was in ancient times, in the early church, it was the words of an early Christian hymn. I guess in Greek it's kind of poetic, and it just kind of stands out as though it was the stanza of a verse. Uh, And uh, it is the what. And you know this what so well that, unfortunately, Oftentimes it just goes right past us, in one ear, out the other. Uh, We believe it, we know it, it's there, we rely on it, 
not discounting anybody's faith, but it doesn't impact us like it uh, maybe once did. And I have to admit that myself, you know, that often one of my prayers is restore to me the first love. <laughs> if you remember Revelation, the first love of my relationship with you when it was just a burning fire. Well, that kind of impact happened once with a theologian named Paul Tillich. He was reading the record of the Nuremberg Trials. You remember the Nuremberg Trials were the trials of war criminals after World War II. Particularly in Europe, uh, Nazis, commandants of concentration camps, of course the higher-ups like Himmler and Goebbels and so forth, uh, for the... uh, for bringing that devastation of war upon the world and particularly for singling out about 11 to 12 million people in concentration camps who were killed or gassed. There was one particular witness whose testimony just impacted this Paul Tillich deeply. And the witness told this story. He said that he, being Jewish, he had escaped from a concentration camp and he had hid in a Jewish cemetery in a Polish village called Wilna. And there he is hiding amongst the gravestones. Now in Big Sandy, for example, where I like to go to walk in the cemetery where I live, It's just on a hill outside of town, and my wife and I, not long ago, became property owners there. (laughs) I say that to people. I say, yeah, my wife and I bought some property in Big Sandy. And they go, oh, where? And I go, just about 10 feet south of the flag (laughs) at the cemetery. (laughs) We bought a plot. So... But in the old part of the cemetery, there are crosses that are pretty interesting to look at and some mausoleums, some structures. And now in the new part of the cemetery, to make it possible for the lawnmower to just kind of mow it all, everything has to be flat to the ground. Well, this old cemetery in Wilna, Poland, had gravestones that stood quite high, some mausoleums that contained the bodies of the whole family when people died and there were a number of Jewish escapees hidden, hiding in this cemetery. And one day, the grave digger, the 80-year-old Jewish grave digger, helped a woman give birth in a grave. She was pregnant and she gave birth in a grave, and when he helped deliver the child, he prayed, and he said, Almighty God, King of the universe, could this be the Messiah? Because only the Messiah would be born in a grave.
And the gospel impacted this Paul Tillich when he read that because for you and me, we've heard this story so often. He humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then we rush right ahead to the Easter, <laughs> to the inevitable happy ending. But just pause for a minute, right there. And remember that before the cradle, the manger became a place where shepherds worshiped and the angels sang. It was a sign of utter desperation and poverty. Christmas was not, you know, this magical uh, evening that we've come to celebrate it as. It was abject poverty. There was no room for him in the inn, and his inevitable journey to the cross began right there began right there with a cradle that was a manger and there was no room for him. He came to his own and his own received him not. And then we come to the crucifixion itself and with ruthless efficiency the Romans knew how to do it. Ruthless but cruel. Utterly cruel where they, uh, the soldiers were turned loose to beat and mock and spit on and scourge and torture and reveal the worst of human nature. They killed Jesus. Some of you maybe have seen the, uh, the movies now several years old, but the passion of the Christ in, in, the, in the brutality of the scourging, I remember just covering my face. I couldn't watch. And then they turned him over and I, with some relief, said, ah, now they, they stopped. And then they started on the other side, scourging. And I just cried. But that's what people do to people, isn't it? If you've read the headlines, that's been what's happening in Israel over the last 48 hours. Uh, War, very widespread war, and a lot of innocent people uh, brutalized. So when we pause there and say, he became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, It's important that we let that impact us because this is the incarnation of God coming to the worst of what humans do to humans who said basically I'm submitting myself to this. Do with me what you will. Beat me, scourge me, spit on me, curse me, mock me, crucify me. And I love you. 
While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I love you. And then, (laughs) and then Easter is revealed to be the surprise that it ought to be. It ought to ever leave us in wonder. Because between Easter and Good Friday, there is a chasm, an infinite chasm. And there's an infinite tension between the two. And that chasm can only be bridged by God. There's nothing we can do about it. We can receive it, but it is God's work. It is God's work from beginning to end. I listened to a preacher the other day who talked about this being monergistic, which means that it's just the one act of God. It's not synergistic, which means that we do our part, God does his part. I heard a story about a little boy who'd come home from a old, good old-fashioned tent revival, and he told his dad, well, I did my part and God did his part. And his dad goes, what do you mean, son? And he goes, well, I did my part. I, I did the sinning. <laughs> I did the running away. I did the hiding from God. He did the rest. <laughs> That's all we bring to the table, isn't it? What we bring to the table is our need and our resistance to his help. <laughs> and then he overcomes that. That's God's part. It's monergistic, meaning God does this. There's this chasm, this infinitely deep chasm between God, between what we do and what God does. And only God can bridge that. Easter. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, raised him up, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every knee, not just believers. Have you ever noticed that? Not just believers, but every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And confess him as Lord. Now, I've just told you the what. So let's move on to the so what. Well, the first so what is that every knee should bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the so what. That's the significance of it. The significance of it is that death is defeated. That chasm is bridged. There is a way to reconciliation with God. And it is through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Michael was absolutely right. There is just the one way. It's not as though, and this is what our culture likes to, to say, the, our culture likes to picture all of this as though it were a wheel. And at the center is God, but there are many spokes going to the wheel, to the center. There are many pathways to the center. The ancient Babylonians, the ancient Romans and Greeks had a pantheon of gods that promised a way to eternity. 
And then along comes Jesus. And it's exclusive, meaning he is the incarnation of the God who said, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods. And there is just this one pathway, which is in him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. To, if, if you want to, you know, <laughs> rely on any other way to bridge this chasm, have at it. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. There's just one way to Easter, and that's through the cross of Christ. So the so what is that to start with? And then going back to the very first verse, it, it says, have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what is this mind? Well, this mind is this humility. This humility. Um, there's another uh, person I want to bring to mind here. His name's Malcolm Mugridge. Malcolm Mugridge was a, uh, a journalist with, uh, I believe, the London Times. He was British. And he, most of his career as a journalist was in Stalinist Russia, Soviet Union. And being a Stalinist USSR, it was brutal. It was as brutal or more brutal than any, of the, any part of the Nazi regime. More people died under Stalin than died because of Hitler, really, in many ways. But in any event, uh, he, he was a witness to all of that abuse of power. And he, it caused him to reflect on Jesus in the wilderness when Jesus was tempted by the devil, who said to him as though he had this to give. He says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll worship me. Well as though he had that to give. <laughs> uh, that was one lie, but he did say that. That was the temptation, which Jesus understood that to worship the devil would only have devilish consequences. <laughs> and so he rejected it. Putting the lie to any idealistic uh, utopian dream that we can establish the kingdom of God on earth ourselves. That we can bring heaven to earth by how we organize ourselves and how we rule and what kind of communities we set up. Uh, sooner or later, any efforts by people in this world, if you just kind of read the newspapers even and just kind of pay attention to the news, let alone read history, you'll realize that sooner or later human nature takes over and whatever kingdom of God promises people make that they're going to establish some utopian society on earth is betrayed by our own human nature. And Jesus understood that, so he rejected that and he took this pathway to power a humble servant. Any other use of power except to be a humble servant is a betrayal of power. Some of you are in 
Well, probably all of us have places where we are in power. Might be as a parent, might be as a spouse, might be on your job. Uh, it, it, there are places where we have power. Some of us considerable power and authority and others less so. The so what here is to use that power in humble service as Jesus would. That's the so what. The significance is to be that humble servant. And now, now this kind of all comes together like the what, so what, now the now what. I want to go to the very last verse. Okay. Therefore, my beloved, uh, as you've always obeyed, not only now in my absence, but also or my, in my presence, but also now much more in my absence, here's the, the now what. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, that sounds kind of weird because if this is all God's work, what's left for our works? Well, Noah mentioned it earlier that it's Faith working through love. It's not faith as just a a, a rote, memorized confession, but it's lived reality. It's a lived out faith in works of love. And Paul, this is kind of Paul's shorthand because Paul never would, would leave any room for our works justifying us before God. Paul just wouldn't do that. Just like Michael said with the absolution, the word of God is, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not based on our works at all, but it's entirely the work of God. At the same time, this is Paul's shorthand for saying, you'd better take it seriously (laughs) because it is God at work in you. Remember that It's God at work in you. So work it out with fear and trembling. Take it seriously. That's Paul's shorthand for saying, take it seriously. This is real. It's God at work in you. Uh, What? Jesus, his death and resurrection. So what? What? that we may kneel and confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now what? Walk in humility, having the mind of Christ, living that life of faith out with fear and trembling. What? Now, so what? Now what? In conclusion, I'm going to invite you to do something which is just what Paul said. Therefore, God has raised him from the dead, that we may, that people, that everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth may confess him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to invite you to make that confession. So speak it, speak it boldly, speak it loud, speak it with sincerity. Repeat after me. Jesus, Jesus. you are Lord Lord. to the glory of God the Father. Now let's personalize that. Jesus, you are my Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.